Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Diving Board Podcast. I am your host, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me for our weekly deep dive. We are just becoming like professional divers at this point. I am so impressed with our diving skills. I'm kind of living for it. (laughs) I hope everyone had uh, as good of a week as possible. I know it is very hard out in the world right now, so sending positive vibes and thoughts all over the universe and hopefully things improve sooner rather than later. Uh, It was a nice weekend here in Chicago. It was really cold on Saturday. It was the St. Patrick's Day weekend and I did not feel FOMO at all that I stayed in because it was so cold outside. So I laid low. I think my cold limit is reaching its limit. I have no tolerance anymore for cold weather. So Stayed inside, did a lot of grad school homework, and I am looking forward to the day in a few months when my MBA program wraps up and I can actually release this podcast at the same time and the same day every week. Usually I am very punctual, but like this homework just throws me for a loop and after I do it, I'm just so exhausted and I don't think anyone wants to hear me do a podcast when I'm half as- when I'm half asleep, but um if you are into that, and that is your thing, uh, I can certainly record something and put it behind a paywall on a Patreon. So just let me know. Um, I'll figure something out for you. (laughs) Um, Anyway, really excited to get into today's deep dive. It's actually a unique situation from our prior three episodes on the Diving Board podcast, because I feel like I've covered a lot of events that are closed or we have a definitive ending and this is actually a case that's developing and is actually going to be developing rather soon so i'm excited to give you all of the background to prepare you for what's next and um, i actually am planning on splitting this into two parts just because there is so much information and this is the diving board podcast i have to give you the nitty-gritty and the full background so i think it'll be a little more palatable if i split it into two parts so that people could watch or excuse me listen um, on two different days but on that note i'm really excited to get into this particular topic and talk about this particular person because i look at the analytics for diving board and we are all 90s kids who are listening to the diving board podcast so i'm sure that this particular person was a true icon in your childhoods and beyond and on that note i invite you to log into your twitter accounts and send in the dancing lobsters this is the deep dive of amanda Bynes. So you know this is the Diving Board Podcast, and we take it from the tippity-top. Who is Amanda Bynes? Well, Amanda Bynes was born to Rick and Lynn Bynes on April 3rd, 1986 in Thousand Oaks, California. Her dad was a dentist, and her mom was a dental assistant. I actually relate to that because I, too, am a former dental assistant. So me just inserting um, anecdotes about my life any chance I get. Uh, But before Rick became a dentist, he actually was an aspiring stand-up comic. He tried his hand at stand-up comedy, but nothing really came of it. So he became a dentist instead. 
And by a young age, it was obvious that Amanda had inherited Rick's comedy gene. She was super funny. She was very, very charismatic. She was kind of a ham. She had really, really great comedic timing. And when her parents noticed that, they thought, let's get this girl into acting. She'd be perfect for it. And her career launched at the age of seven. She appeared in a bunch of commercials. She actually appeared in a bunch of Crunch Candies commercial, which do you guys remember those? Those were so good. Do they still make those? Um, Anyway, uh, she also starred in a Barbie commercial. She was just getting really, really big on the commercial circuit. She was also in stage performances for Annie, The Sound of Music, The Secret Garden. She was really doing her thing at a very young age and later went on to participate in a comedy camp at the iconic Los Angeles Laugh Factory. And it was actually there that she caught the attention of a Nickelodeon producer and he automatically suggested auditioning for the sketch comedy show All That. Now, if you are too young to know what All That was, Congratulations, but you missed out because all that was so fun. It was pretty much like the kid version of SNL. It was a sketch comedy show. And Amanda auditioned and she got the part and she said it was just a dream come true. I mean, all that was huge on Nickelodeon. So she was really, really excited to be a part of it. And she stayed on the show from 1996 to 2000. I loved her on all that. Do you remember um, like Ask Ashley when she would like read advice and then go insane? I loved it. She was so good. Um, She was also a panelist on the show Figure It Out with Summer Sanders, which also obsessed with that show. Um, so if you didn't watch figure it out, it was like, you would have to guess like these people's hidden talents or like whatever they were thinking of. And I, for some reason, I have a core memory of one of the episodes. This girl's hidden talent was like fitting through a coat hanger, which, okay. Um, (laughs) you know what? More power to her. I hope wherever that girl is, she can still fit through a coat hanger. Um, and by late 1999, Nickelodeon actually proposed to the idea to Amanda of having her own spinoff show. And they really wanted to make this as like the Carol Burnett show, but just for kids. And they called it the Amanda show. And it was kind of like her own variety show of sketch comedy. It was hilarious. It starred Drake Bell, Josh Peck, and it really launched their careers. And I was obsessed with that show. I was a total Nickelodeon kid. I think a lot of people think that because I like going to Disney World that I was a Disney kid growing up and I wasn't. You don't become this insane individual without growing up on uh, Nickelodeon shows. And if Universal Studios still had Nickelodeon Studios, I would be there instead. Trust. So um, (laughs) the Amanda show, like I said, was amazing. I loved that like movie store skit blockbuster where they (laughs) were like the family and people would get so mad because they'd rent a movie and then they would put it in. And it was just like this family reenacting like Star Wars and stuff like that. It was so good. Um, I love Moody's Point, uh, Judge Trudy. I love that meatloaf crunch skit. I remember I would like terrorize my brothers by like continuously singing meatloaf, meatloaf. We all love meatloaf crunch. Like I would sing that over and over till they just went insane and they'd be screaming at me. Oh, growing up in the nineties, it was just, it was a different time. 
And honestly, the fact that Amanda could host this variety show on her own was seriously incredible. I mean, she was 13 years old hosting this really, really successful show on Nickelodeon. And it's like, when I think of me at 13 years old, I don't even know if I knew like my own birthday. So <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know which way was up. And this girl is hosting her own variety show on Nickelodeon. So super, super impressive. And the show was massive. It earned her Ford Kid Choice Awards, and that's pretty much the Oscars for kids shows. And by 2002, she kind of realized she's like, okay, I want to start a new chapter. I'm ready to kind of pack it in. And she said she wanted to kind of end the Amanda show and see what was the next step. She's quoted as saying that she didn't want to be a Nickelodeon kid when she was 30. Which, girls, speak for yourself. Um, if anyone at the Nickelodeon Network wants to give me a call, I am ready and willing. I don't know what pilot you may have that can surround around a 30-year-old woman who lives in Chicago, but I am down. Just let me know when and where. Um, in 2002, Amanda had a big year. She actually made her first film debut in Big Fat Liar with Frankie Muniz. Um, this character was actually supposed to be for Lindsay Lohan, but Lindsay had been acting for a few years and she wanted to be a normal kid. So she passed on the role and Amanda got it. And of course, you know, this film was panned by the critics because it's a kid's film and critics never understand kids films. But I really liked this movie and it was a commercial success. And really, that's all that matters. And 2002 was a really big year for Amanda because she also landed one of the lead roles in the show, What I Like About You. And she starred alongside Jenny Garth. And she actually stayed on this show until 2006. And by this time, I mean, Amanda really cemented herself amongst like a certain type of teen girl. Now, Hilary Duff on Lizzie McGuire, which don't get me wrong, I love that show, but Hilary definitely played a more traditional role, a more kind of like straight-laced character, very vanilla, and Amanda was more of like the quirky, funny girl. She was sarcastic, and she kind of appealed more to an edgier teen. So she was who represented that type of girl on television. And, you know, she really, really was making her mark. She appeared on the July 2003 cover of Vanity Fair. And I don't know if you remember that cover, but it was seriously amazing. I remember getting it in the mail in 2003. And it was a pullout um, cover because they had all of the young Hollywood starlets on it. They had the Olsen twins, Lindsay Lohan, Hilary Duff, Alexis Bledel, Mandy Moore, and Amanda was front and center. I mean, it really, truly was an amazing cover and she really was showing that she was a big star in Hollywood at the time. Now 2003 was interesting because it really was the first look and example that Amanda didn't really have the best relationship with her parents because she actually tried to file for an emancipation from her parents at the age of 17. And if you're not familiar with emancipation, it's basically stating that you're legally separated or emancipated from your parents, even though you're not a legal adult yet. And a lot of child actors actually do this. And Amanda wanted to do this because it was reported that her parents, specifically her dad, were really, really strict. And I mean, you know, when you were a teenager, I really, really struggled for my independence and I wanted to get out in the world more, but I was still living under my parents' roof and I had to abide by their rules because they were paying all the bills and I was living in their house. 
But that's the interesting thing when you're a child star because you have a lot of money and you don't really have to depend on your parents to fund your life. So I I would get the struggle of, you know, you're 17 and your parents are kind of still calling the shots because you're not an adult yet, yet you have millions of dollars and could theoretically take care of yourself. So it's just so interesting because it's such a different way of life than most of us grow up. And Amanda at this time, she had actually been spending a lot of time with Dan Schneider and his wife, Lisa. If you're a Nickelodeon kid, you definitely know about Dan Schneider. Um, He was the manager in Good Burger and he actually would kind of make little cameos here and there, but then also took on a huge production and show creator role in the early 2000s. He created and produced shows like iCarly, Sam and Cat, Victorious, Zoe 101. Uh, You probably saw in the credits, it would be like Schneider's Bakery. That's Dan Schneider. And Amanda spent a lot of time with him. But Dan Schneider was also extremely creepy. And there's a lot of stuff that went on with Dan Schneider, with Amanda and other Nickelodeon stars. So if you would like me to get into that, just let me know because I will do a Dan Schneider deep dive. Um, But Amanda's emancipation didn't really work out and she stayed with her parents until she was 18. And her biggest project rolled around when she starred in the 2006 sports comedy, She's the Man. And this film was based on the William Shakespeare uh, play Twelfth Night. And Amanda played the lead, Viola Hastings, who dresses up as her brother so that she can play on the boys' soccer team after her team gets cut. So Amanda was in boy drag this entire film, and the film was actually a huge commercial success and launched the career of Channing Tatum, and it brought in $57.2 million against a $20 million budget. So a really, really good success. And though Amanda, I mean, critics loved her in this film, and she was critically acclaimed everywhere for her performance, but she said being dressed up as a man for the entire filming process was like an out-of-body experience for her. And it really kind of created some serious body dysmorphia for her because, you know, she was dressed up very masculine and she wanted to look pretty. And seeing herself as a boy for pretty much the entire film really, you know, messed with her mind. And her acting rival this entire time was Lindsay Lohan because Lindsay Lohan also kind of appealed to the, you know, edgier, kind of quirkier, more sarcastic teen. So that Lindsay really was Amanda's counterpart. And, you know, Lindsay Lohan's breakout role was in Mean Girls, where she looked beautiful. I mean, she was super glamorous. She looked great. And she really came out of that film kind of cementing her role as a Hollywood sex symbol which is creepy because she was really, really young at the time, but that was the result of Mean Girls. I mean, she was really the top star and was seen as a really, really beautiful woman. And Amanda struggled with this because her breakout role was in She's the Man, where she's dressed as a boy the entire time. And, you know, she was really intimidated by Lindsay. Her friends say that when Amanda would see Lindsay on the red carpet, she would immediately, like, start touching up her makeup, start touching up her hair. She'd ask, like, do I look okay? Because, you know, she she saw Lindsay as, like, sincere competition because Lindsay was getting kind of, like, these 
edgier roles, while Amanda was still kind of labeled as like the goody goody, more of like the quirky girl. She wasn't seen as like the sexy girl as Lindsay was in the movies. And Amanda really wanted to start getting these more, I guess, Lindsay Lohan type roles. And in 2007, um, Amanda landed her next role as Pelly Pingleton in the movie rendition of Hairspray, which was a huge commercial success. I mean, we love Hairspray. We stan Nikki Blonsky in this household. And while filming the set of Hairspray, while she was on the set, um, Amanda is flipping through some tabloids like we all do and sees a write-up about Hollywood starlets and how today's Hollywood starlets are taking Adderall and how they see Adderall as the, quote, new skinny pill. And Amanda, I mean, she kind of perks up because she wants to get her hands on some. So she goes to a psychiatrist. She kind of fakes the symptoms of ADHD and gets a prescription for Adderall. Now, you know, back then it was not difficult to get an ADHD diagnosis, and it's still not that difficult. I feel like psychiatrists are very diagnosis happy. So if you just say a few symptoms, they just throw some medication at you. So Amanda was able to get Adderall pretty easily. So 2007 was a really big year for Amanda because she fulfilled a big dream of hers, which was launching a clothing line. Now, Amanda was really, really into fashion, so she was excited to design and launch this clothing line she called Dear at Stephen Barry's. Now, that is a blast from the past. I have not thought about Stephen Barry's for a very long time. For my Chicago area natives, there used to be a Stephen Barry's, I remember, in Spring Hill Mall. And Stephen Barry's was like this weird store that like sold a lot of graphic tees and it was like a lot of t-shirts of colleges and sports teams and randomly celebrity clothing lines. Like I know Stefan Marbury had one and Sarah Jessica Parker had one and then Amanda Bynes did. And I think they were licensing a little too much with celebrities because by the next year, Stephen Barry's actually filed a Chapter 11 bankruptcy and the clothing line abruptly stopped, unfortunately. And at this time, I mean, Amanda is really trying to break into more mature and adult roles. She really seemed like she would be the actress who could make that difficult transition from child star to adult actress. And I mean, Amanda really, really had the acting chops. And I know she was in competition with Lindsay Lohan and, you know, Hilary Duff, but Amanda could do what Lindsay and Hillary were doing, but they could not do what Amanda was doing. Amanda was so talented, so funny, and really seemed to be on the straight and narrow to really kind of launch her career and have a lot of longevity in Hollywood. Her next movie was a movie called Sydney White in 2007, but I didn't see that film and I don't think a lot of us did because it flopped in the box office. Um, she appeared in the movie with Harry Connick Jr. on Lifetime. It was called Living Proof. And this was actually a more mature role, even though it was a made-for-TV film. And people really praised her performance in it. And in 2009, she was supposed to star in the 2009 film Postgrad, but quit without reason. And the role went to Alexis Bledel. So I don't really think many people saw that film either because I don't even know that existed. Um, <laughs> now, 
This is when people started to suspect that something was going awry for Amanda. I mean, why did she abruptly quit post-grad? What's going on? But by 2010, I mean, she starred alongside Emma Stone, who was basically a relatively unknown actress at the time in Easy A. And the film was a huge critical and commercial success. I mean, people loved Emma Stone in the film. They love Amanda Bynes in the film. I mean, she played more of a goody-goody in the film, but it was still such a big role and a big movie to be a part of. But about being in the film, Amanda hated the way she looked, the way she performed. She hated just everything about it. And she said that she went to the uh, screening of the film intoxicated. She was super high. She was smoking a lot of marijuana. So that definitely could have influenced the way she saw herself. But she, she just hated it. And she was like, I don't want to be an actress at all anymore. And in 2010, she was also supposed to star in the uh, movie Hall Pass alongside Owen Wilson. And he was supposed to be like her um, sexy babysitter. But she dropped out unexpectedly. And Amanda actually admitted that while she was on the set of Hall Pass, she was in her trailer chewing her Adderall tablets because she thought that if she chewed them, they would be more effective, they would kick in a little easier, and that she was simultaneously smoking a lot of marijuana. So she said that this mixing of substances made her not be able to memorize her lines. It just kind of affected the way she was. She couldn't focus. And she was definitely disoriented and acted all out of sorts on the set. And it was reported that she was fired from the set, but she actually quit on her own accord. Now, the dropping out of Hall Pass is really kind of widely regarded as the beginning of Amanda Bynes's downward spiral. And before I get into kind of the nitty gritty, I do want to preface and say that I am by no means poking fun at what went down during this time in Amanda Bynes's life. I am just relaying the story, giving you the facts. You know I level with you and just give you the accurate information of what happened. We take mental health very seriously here on the Diving Board Podcast. So we sympathize with her situation. This is just the story. Also, my neighbor has started playing piano again very loudly, so I may be going into a downward spiral uh, momentarily. Um, (laughs) Sorry if you hear that. But anyway, um, by July 2010, Amanda Bynes released a bombshell tweet that she's retiring from acting. She says that 24 is a really young age to retire, but she's over it. She thinks it's time. And she said that when she doesn't like doing something, she stops and she doesn't like acting anymore. So she's going to stop. And this is really preempted by how Amanda saw herself in Easy A. Now, We saw her delivering an amazing performance. She looked beautiful, but Amanda saw herself as really, really unattractive and a really, really bad actress. And she said, like, I just thought I could never be on screen ever again. And it's so sad. And it just shows like how severe her body dysmorphia was. And, you know, she was taking a lot of Adderall. She was smoking a lot of weed. So that really was playing a big factor into her state of mind. And, you know, with this tweet, that's also kind of when her Twitter started to become a little bit more strange. And I want to say, like, in 2010, we used to, like, tweet and post just, like, whatever was on our mind. I mean, it was a different time of social media where 
there weren't any influencers and people weren't making money off of social media. So people weren't taking it that seriously. Like if you look, I don't have a Facebook anymore. Thank God. But when I used to get like the time hops and see the stuff I posted on Facebook, oh my God. (laughs) So embarrassing. Like I used to be obsessed with this guy who worked at my local Best Buy. So I would like go and visit him on a weekly basis honestly looking back that's so humiliating and I would always just call him the Best Buy guy and I knew his name and I used to literally post on Facebook like the days that I was going to see the Best Buy guy I'd be like going to Best Buy hope Jake is there just got home from Best Buy glad I got to talk to Jake like what (laughs) like that is totally unhinged so like Like, that is so embarrassing. So um, shout out to the Best Buy guy. I hope you're doing well. But, um, you know, Amanda Bynes' Twitter was getting a little bit weird, even though we didn't take social media that seriously back then and kind of just tweeted whatever was on our minds. But even by those standards, people were like, what does this mean? Because she used to kind of just use her Twitter account for quotes. But we kind of started to get more of a case study of a person who was kind of like inching closer and closer to, you know, falling off the deep end. And at the beginning of her quote retirement, it wasn't really a great time for Amanda. She was self-medicating with marijuana and Adderall and most likely some other substances. But in 2011, I mean, she laid low. She attended the VMAs. She looked amazing. She was in this like Hervé Leger dress. She was kind of keeping a low profile. And it honestly surprises me that Amanda Bynes like wasn't on the hit list of the bling ring because like she had great clothes and she was really famous. And I mean, maybe she came across them in Hollywood. If you haven't listened to my bling ring episode, go and revisit because it's super interesting. But, you know, maybe she was. I don't know. It's just it's interesting that like her name never came up because all a lot of other famous people did. But she was kind of flying under the radar. And it wasn't really until 2012 that things truly began to unravel. And on April 6, 2012, Amanda is arrested for driving under the influence in West Hollywood. And she actually got arrested because she tried to like pass a stopped police car. And it's like, girl, don't pass the stopped police car. Like we want cops in front of us. We don't want them behind us. We want to have the upper hand. And as she was passing the cop car, she actually hit the cop car. So really, really bad situation. And she was arrested, but she refused a test that would have determined if she was drunk or high. A lot of times people will actually um, refuse a breathalyzer test if they know they're really drunk because the higher you blow, the higher your charges are. So if you refuse it, you kind of get the baseline charge and... That's kind of what Amanda did. So four days later, Amanda, she's kind of on a bender because she hits yet another car and she flees the scene. The cop already had all of her information, though, because she's Amanda Bynes and, you know, you're not really going to get away with anything. But, you know, this was classified as a hit and run. And by June of 2012, Amanda had actually been formally charged with a DUI and girl tried to plead her case with the head man in charge, 
President Barack Obama. And she tweeted, hey, at Barack Obama, please fire the cop who arrested me. I don't hit and run. The end. Needless to say, um, Barack did not get back to her. You know what? I bet Trump would have responded because that bitch was on Twitter all the time. I mean, if if you think Amanda Bynes's Twitter account was unhinged, my goodness, the real Donald Trump. Now that was a ride on Twitter. Um, in August of 2012, she is accused of yet another hit and run. Like, girl, what are you doing? And a month later is formally charged with two counts of hit and run. So if convicted, I mean, she faces up to a year in jail. This is serious. You can't do that. And she pleads not guilty, just like she told uh, President 44 Obama. She says, I'm not guilty. I didn't do this. And a week later, she's pulled over for driving with a suspended license as her driving privileges have been revoked because, you know, she's hitting and running. So she's not supposed to be driving. Now, that leads me to my next point. Like, do you ever wonder, like, all of the crazy stuff that these celebrities did behind the wheel, like driving under the influence, like hitting people, hitting and run, like how much their car insurance must be? Like, it must be astronomical. So, you know, this is the Diving Board Podcast. So, of course, I did a little bit of research. And I actually found an article years ago from an expert who estimated um, what Lindsay Lohan's car insurance must be. And she actually had two DUIs and an at-fault car accident at the time, which are very similar to the charges that Amanda had. And the expert actually estimated that Lindsay most likely pays $7,500 in car insurance a month. Like that was almost the price of my first car. Like that is insane. And I did a little research because I don't have a car anymore, so I don't really know how much car insurance costs, but... That is compared to the average payment of $180 in Illinois. $7,500 just to drive because you're an idiot behind the wheel. It's it's crazy. And that's like even if an insurance company will even insure you. So craziness. But speaking of Lindsay, a day after Amanda is caught driving with a suspended license, she throws her hat into the ring and she decides to take to Twitter like we all were doing and speak her mind. And she tweets, why did I get put in jail? And a Nickelodeon star has no punishment so far. And she follows a few minutes later with the message. These are the moments that I appreciate my life experiences, living without regrets and Disney for supporting me as an actress. Like girl was taken down a few people. She was taken down Amanda she was taken down the justice system and she was taken down Nickelodeon. Like, Lindsay, leave Nickelodeon out of this. What did they ever do to you? It actually ironically reminds me of an iconic scene in probably my favorite movie in the history of ever, The Parent Trap, um, starring Lindsay Lohan, where Hallie and Annie are fighting at camp. They're fencing. And they, at the end of the fencing competition, they fall into that horse trough and they're soaked and they're, you know, like yelling at each other. And Annie turns to Hallie and goes, want to know the difference between you and me? I have class and you don't. Which, sorry, sometimes my British accent becomes Australian. So that could have just been the parent trap down under. But it was very, very that vibe. The like, I have class and you don't vibe. I mean, she was coming for her. But Lindsay, you really don't have any room to talk. I mean, I have to say, I do get where Lindsay is coming from because, I mean, she was serving jail time for very similar offenses. I mean, she was serving jail time with Alexis Nyers of the Bling Ring. I mean, we just come, 
full circle here on the Diving Board Podcast. And the Hollywood Reporter was actually really shady when they were reporting this. They actually said that Amanda had finally gotten her wish of being compared to Lindsay Lohan, but it wasn't because of the film she was in. It was because now they both had run-ins with the law, which that is so shady, such a low blow. But um, by September 20th, 2012, Amanda spoke with People Magazine and said she was doing amazing despite appearances and she was ready to start her fashion line. And though she said she was doing amazing in public, that didn't really appear so. A few days after she told People Magazine that, she was seen assaulting a paparazzi photographer in kind of the, a mall in West Hollywood. And, you know, it's, it's really, if you watch that footage, it actually is really disturbing because she's like chasing him around. She's pinching him. She's scratching him. And paparazzi are assholes. I mean, don't get me wrong. But, you know, she's assaulting him. She's trying to tear the camera out of his hand. And she's saying like, delete the picture you just took. I have to look beautiful at all times. Take it off. And just really in a bad situation. And that is a really classic example of the body dysmorphia she has and how she's really trying to control how she's seen by the public. And it's really taking over her life and she's going to any means possible to continue, you know, kind of this control. So really, really sad situation. But like I said, she wanted to start her clothing line and she decides to move to New York City, which is probably a good move because you don't need a car in New York City as opposed to LA. And, you know, so she won't be getting into any more uh, run-ins behind the wheel. So when she moves to New York City, it's reported a couple days later that Amanda has been dropped by her publicist, lawyer, and agent all within the span of a few weeks. And it's a shame because she worked with these people for such a long time. And for years, they described her as a dream client. They said she showed up on time. She never caused trouble. So it really is so upsetting. But they said that it just gotten had gotten increasingly more difficult over the last year. And um, Amanda, like I said, moves to New York City. She leases out her California properties. And immediately, people are kind of reporting some bizarre behavior from Amanda um, in the streets of New York City. They report that Amanda is you know, in the gym, stripping to her strapless push-up bra and a spin class. And during the spin class, she pulls out her makeup kit and she exits the class after spending 10 minutes touching up her lipstick and eyeliner, which I mean, is low-key everything, but <laughs> I mean, is very bizarre behavior. And, you know, more erratic behavior is being reported by so many different people of Amanda all over the streets of Manhattan. And Amanda debuts uh, her new look on in uh, 2013, and she debuts it on her Tumblr blog, and she shows that she has cheek piercings, and she's wearing a long bleach blonde wig, and she said that she wanted to look like Black China. And I remember when she said, I'm really trying to look like Black China, and this was 2013, I was like, who the hell is Black China? So like, that was how I learned about Black China. So Amanda kind of put her on the map a little bit. Shout out to Dream Kardashian. So um, by March of 2013, Amanda, Amanda's kind of stream of consciousness is on full display on Twitter. And I mean, she is tweeting whatever comes to her mind and there really is no filter. And she tweets, one of her most iconic tweets is that she wants Drake to 
murder her, you know what. Which, I mean, I can't say I don't echo the sentiment, but I tend to kind of just scream that out into the abyss and hope the universe answers my prayer. Uh, So it was a little bit jarring to see that in black and white on Twitter. Um, Just that, you know, kind of, we didn't expect that from Amanda Bynes. And pictures surface of Amanda, you know, roaming around Manhattan looking a little bit disoriented and a little bit disheveled. She has, you know, pink hair and, you know, she has the cheek piercings in. And immediately Amanda takes to Twitter the next day to tell everyone to look out because an imposter is roaming the streets of New York City. And crazy enough, this imposter looks exactly like Amanda Bynes, has her exact features, has the exact cheek piercings, and pretty much just looks like a carbon copy of Amanda. And Amanda, you know, is just tweeting up a storm that she wants to sue Us Weekly, she wants to sue Perez Hilton, because anytime something unflattering comes out, you know, in the press, she immediately says, you know, that wasn't me or it's an imposter or you're photoshopping me. And, you know, it really is sending just her into a really downward spiral because of her really bad body dysmorphia. And I mean, everyone knows that fear of like when you're told like, oh, there's a new tagged photo of you and you didn't see what it looked like and you see it and you're like, oh my God, like I look horrible. And it sends you into a spiral. Now times that by you are a national movie star and people are plastering your most unflattering photos literally all over the world on every blog, in every website, newspaper, it's, and you already suffer from really bad body dysmorphia. It's a really, really bad situation. And Amanda, no matter how hard she was trying to control the narrative of what she looked like, she couldn't. It was just too difficult. And it proved to be really, really just hard on her. And by April of 2013, Amanda's content on Twitter, it starts becoming a little bit more disturbing. I will say back on Twitter, um, I used to follow Amanda and not that it was funny or anything, but it was kind of interesting just to see, okay, what is she going to come up next? What's going to come out of her mouth? And just kind of see the stream of consciousness of somebody. But it started becoming a lot more disturbing and worrisome by the spring of 2013. Um, She posted a video online that really kind of sent shockwaves. The caption was, I'm sucking on a Sour Patch Kid, listening to music, getting ready for tonight. Big smiley face. And this was kind of like the first video that we saw of Amanda with her new look and kind of her new frame of mind. And it was disturbing. I mean, she looked super, super disoriented. She had a ton of makeup on that honestly looked, you know, like when you just keep replying it day after day and haven't washed your face, like just caked on. And, you know, she had really bleach blonde extensions and there was so many extensions in her hair that it really looked like a wig and it was just like a big rat's nest and like her eyes are going all different places and just really, really disturbing. And I mean, the image is just a far cry from the girl we knew just a year or two prior. So people were kind of freaked out. And by May, she shows that she got rid of the extensions. She shaved, you know, half of her head because she wanted to, quote, look like Cassie. Remember when Cassie had that like half shaved hairstyle and a bunch of girls did that? 
And in an exclusive interview, she says that she has no clue why people are saying that she's insane. But it's okay because every time she's heard it, it's been from an ugly person's mouth. So I don't, she doesn't really care. She also said that she's ready to launch her clothing line and ready to start working on her new album. Um, May was honestly a crazy month. May 2013 was wild for Amanda because she gets into a fight with Jenny McCarthy because Jenny McCarthy gets bad information and says the police are at Amanda Bynes' house. And Amanda Bynes holds no prisoners because she responds that Jenny McCarthy is ugly and looks like she's 80 compared to her. She also admits that she's received a no job, a nose job to, quote, remove the webbing between her eyes. And around this time, she also pleads no contest to the driving with a suspended license and receives three years probation. Her DUI case is still pending at that time. A week later, this is when things kind of get weird. Um, a week later, In Touch kind of publishes a cover story of you know, a quote, drug-fueled house party. And the pictures are of Amanda in her apartment, like sleeping on a bare mattress. Her windows are spray painted black. And it just really, really paints a really bad scene. It's titled, quote, the darkest night of her life and showcases like her rolling a joint with like a random piece of paper. Like the joint's not even rolled up. Um, There's bags of marijuana on the floor. There's also, you know, mini bags that holds um, other things. And she's just super disheveled. She has those really big blonde extensions. She's covered in bruises and scratches. Just to like a really, really bad scene. And the pictures are interesting because it really does look like a photographer was invited in. I mean, like these were not grainy photos taken with a phone. I mean, this is what, 2013. So people still had either non-smartphones or like some of the first iPhones that the camera wasn't that great. Like these are taken with a professional photo or a professional camera. And Amanda's kind of posing for them. They're clear. She's in frame. It's not like someone being sneaky about it. And so it looks like a photographer was invited into her apartment. And the next day, Amanda immediately takes to Twitter and says that InTouch doctored all of the photos. Those are not her feet. Her feet are pedicured, so they can't be her feet. They morphed her face. They photoshopped someone else's bed into the frame. They photoshopped her head on someone else's body. And it's just just this never happened. These are not me. This never went down. And I don't know where you got these pictures because they, they aren't Amanda. And like I said, this is a classic case of Amanda probably just didn't like the way she looked. So she's just putting in her mind that that isn't me. And in touch responded the next day and said, you know, our photographers and our journalists, they identified themselves. Amanda let them into her home. She even discussed writing a column for the magazine and every word is accurate of their account. And they hope that Amanda gets the help she needs. So, I mean, just a really, really crazy situation. And the the pictures are crazy. And the next day, Amanda is arrested yet again because she was caught smoking in the lobby of her building. And obviously that's against the law. So the building manager called the police on her. She goes up to her apartment and cops show up to her door. She lets them in, which is kind of a rookie mood, uh, a rookie move. But uh, while she lets them in, she decides that she needs to get rid of some of the evidence. So she throws her bong out of her 36th floor window. Now... (laughs) You're throwing the bong up 36 floors. That thing is flying down 
by the time it hits the ground, it's hitting at 100 miles an hour, over 100 miles an hour. Like someone could have gotten seriously messed up if that hit them. So, you know, just not not a good situation. And that night she's taken to the Roosevelt Hospital for a psych eval. And the next morning she shows up in court with a big blonde wig because her mugshot actually shows that she had shaved all of her extensions off. So she had like a really short haircut, almost a buzz cut. She shows up in this huge blonde wig, totally disoriented. And she tells the judge that she only threw a vase out the window. Like, girl, that does not make it any better. Like you, you can't be throwing stuff like that out the window. Drug paraphernalia are not. So really, really bad situation. And the next morning she takes to Twitter, of course, where else is she going to take to, to tell the world that the entire case was all lies. She said that she was sexually harassed by the NYPD and plans on suing them because they lied about having drugs in her apartment. They put her on an involuntary psych hold and one of the cops, quote, slapped her private parts. So weird situation, but she's ready to sue the NYPD. Girl must have a lot of uh, legal bills because she's ready to sue the whole world. And she also maintains that she's, quote, allergic to alcohol and is very much looking forward to her aspiring rap and music career. Aren't we all? Um, This is when Amanda starts getting really, really bad on Twitter as well, because this is when Amanda starts getting really, really abusive. She comes after Rihanna and no one comes after the queen and uh, tweets that she's really ugly and makes some really, really mean comments about the Chris Brown situation. Luckily, Rihanna has, you know, emotional intelligence and does not feed into the situation, kind of just brushes it off. Amanda starts coming after everyone on Twitter. She calls Drake ugly, which girl, that is categorically untrue. She calls um, Zac Efron ugly, the Obamas, probably because Barack didn't exonerate her. Um, Perez Hilton, Chrissy Teigen, RuPaul, Kid Cudi, who she apparently dated. She calls her own dad ugly. Nobody was safe. I mean, I was afraid that I was going to get called ugly on Twitter. But low-key, I would have lived for it. If Amanda came for me, (laughs) I would have loved it. You know, and a couple days later, she later apologized to Rihanna and um, Kid Cudi and said that her account was hacked. This was not her. This was not her tweeting. She would never say those things. So, you know, maybe the imposter got on Twitter and started tweeting for her. I think that's kind of what happened. Um, I mean, I don't really know where these tweets came from if they didn't come from Amanda. But, you know, all jokes aside, this really kind of shows, I mean, Amanda did not know what she was doing. And it seems like she was disassociating when she was having these spells because she really does not remember coming after these people. And she says, like, all the people I came after, I really like. So, you know, there was a few months of Michigas and Amanda somehow makes her way back to California. And no one really knows how she made her way because she couldn't get on a plane because she didn't have any identification. And she actually was denied getting on a plane because she tried to use Google as identification at the TSA. And they were like, no girl. So no one really knows, like, did she pay for a cab from New York to California? Like it's a mystery. And I think it'll just be one of the great mysteries of our time. But that brings us to July 23rd, 2013, where everything kind of comes to a head. 
and Amanda is back in Thousand Oaks, California, her hometown, and she's in a residential neighborhood. It's never really confirmed if this was her parents' neighborhood or not. It was like near a retirement home. Um, no one really knows why or how Amanda got to this resi uh, residential neighborhood in Thousand Oaks. So Amanda's walking around. She has her little Pomeranian um, Sherbert in hand, and she stops in front of this random house, and she has a gas can with her. So she's got Sherbert in one hand, a gas can in the other, and she decides to pour all of the gas all at the end of the driveway of this random house and somehow lights it on fire. And the fire department said that the flames from this fire rose over five feet. He said that if the gas tank was metal, it would have exploded. And in the process, Amanda had gotten gas on her pant leg. So with the flames, she lit herself on fire and Sherbert also got burned because Sherbert was too covered in gasoline. Sherbert Gets burned. He takes off running. Poor Sherbert. Like, I feel so bad for him. So uh, he takes off running because, you know, he's hot. He's got to he's got to, you know, cool himself off. And Amanda, she's on fire. Her pant legs on fire. She gets down. She starts stop dropping and rolling. And a passerby, you know, passes by and sees that Amanda is in duress. He runs out. He's like, what's going on? Is this your house? What happened? Amanda takes her pants off. She has no pants. She takes off running, goes after Sherbert. She says, my dog, I have to get my dog. The guy's like, what the hell is going on? He calls 911. A bunch of other people start congregating. Then he hops in his car to go after Amanda because, you know, she just took off running and he's like, what the hell? Did someone, did this woman just light this person's house on fire. So he catches up with her a few blocks down. She has Sherbert and she's trying to hop into a cab. And the passerby, this original guy, goes up to the cab and says like, no, 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 no. Don't let her into the cab. This He explains the situation and the cab driver goes like, okay, I get it, drives off. So then police come. Amanda goes and sprints to a liquor store with Sherbert because Sherbert is covered in gasoline. So she wants to clean Sherbert off. She immediately, like there's surveillance of this that Amanda just like walks into this liquor store, not a damn care in the world, and just goes into like an employees only area and starts washing Sherbert off. And the manager, you see like, he's like, what the hell just happened? He goes, he tells her like, girl, you got to get the hell out of here. I still don't know if they thought that or they knew she was Amanda Bynes, but they were like, what the hell are you doing? So she walks out, she's apprehended by the authorities and they start asking her questions. And as they kind of determine her mental state, they're like, okay, we know this wasn't arson or they, we know you weren't purposely trying to light this person's house on fire. And side note, like the person who was in this house was like this little old lady in her seventies. And she was like, inside watching some true crime show just like you know watching her shows and someone amanda Bynes is outside lighting her house on fire or trying to it's like girl and the woman didn't even know that this was happening until the cops banged on her door and said like hey we put the fire out in your driveway it's like <laughs> could you imagine and the woman, it was like so sweet. She was like, I don't know why she did this. I don't know her. And I've never made anyone mad enough to set my house on fire. So she was just totally perplexed by the situation. But everyone was per 
perplexed by the situation. And after kind of asking her some questions, the cops were like, okay, you didn't have any malice, but you're really not in your right mind. So they put her on a 72 hour psych hold, a 5150. And if you don't know what a 5150 is, it's basically like a 72 hour hold for an adult who's like displayed extreme kind of mental duress. And people have determined like, you right now are in a state where you are a danger to yourself and you're a danger to others. So they put her on a psych hold because, I mean, she kind of was a danger to herself and others and poor Sherbert. Oh my gosh, I wish I had him. So during this time, Rick and Lynn Bynes are freaking out. They're like, what is going on? And they file for a temporary conservatorship. You know, Amanda was burning through her money. They said that she had spent $1.4 million in a matter of months and was withdrawing like tons of money. They said that over months she would withdraw like $100,000 cash at a time. And I know right now because of the Britney situation, conservatorships are kind of a bad word or a dirty word, but there are times where conservatorships are useful. And I would argue that this is a time where temporary conservatorship is kind of called for. I mean, this person is blowing through their money, really could destroy their life. I mean, if if she was left to her own devices, she could hurt herself, she could hurt others, and really just spend all of the money that she worked for. I mean, she was worth over $5 million. Like, most people won't see that money in their lifetime. And, you know, she was blowing it in the matter of months. So, this is kind of a time where a conservatorship isn't that far off. So instead of granting a temporary conservatorship, however, the judge decided to extend her psych hold. And Amanda was starting to improve over the course of a couple weeks because she was getting medicated through the psych ward. And also she wasn't on the drug. She wasn't on Adderall. She wasn't on mar- she wasn't smoking marijuana. So you know, that kind of was helping her. But her stay in the psych hold was extended for another two weeks. And after the next court hearing, Lynn Bynes was granted a temporary conservatorship and Amanda was ordered to stay 30 more days in treatment. And this treatment was $3,500 a day, which she stayed for about a week and a half. And luckily she was able to transfer to the Canyon Treatment Center in Malibu. And this is a place that is no stranger to celebrities. And even though it was a luxury kind of treatment center, it still was like $50,000 less than what she would have paid in the old treatment center. And in September, Amanda is scheduled to stand trial trial for her prior DUIs and the, quote, vase-throwing incident. And her lawyer argues that she isn't fit to stand trial and he's able to postpone these hearings for a little over a year. And a couple weeks later, Amanda is out of treatment. She's living with her parents. Uh, Sherbert was rehomed with a new family. And I'm, I'm hoping that... It's a very nice family found his forever home because Sherbert has seen some shit and I feel so bad for him. Amanda actually enrolled in the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles. Uh, it's commonly known as FITM. And she's just an excellent, affable student. She's always loved fashion. So she's really thriving um, in school. And it's interesting because like she enrolled in school rather quickly after, you know, treatments and she's really trying to turn her life around. And, you know, this was just like the perfect route for her because I mean, there's nothing better than fashion for Amanda Vines. 
And Amanda really is trying to like kind of seem like she's starting a new slate. Like she's removing kind of like the weird tattoo she got and um, looks like she's just like turning over a new leaf. She was able to take plea deals for her prior cases and she really only walked away with a few years probation. So, I mean, girl kind of came out uh, pretty well. You know, she had she had some pretty good legal advice. And, you know, by February 2014, her conservatorship was lifted and Amanda was free. And, you know, she was doing so great. And because she was doing so great, Lynn Bynes actually thought it would be a good idea for Amanda to get off her medication. And that was actually very controversial. And I'm not sure how I feel about that um, because a lot of people diagnosed or thought that Amanda might have been schizophrenic. And now, you know, there's a lot of, I am not a medical professional by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, there's a lot of armchair psychiatrists. So we don't know, but Amanda did kind of display some classic symptoms of schizophrenia. And Lynn said that because Amanda was off the substances she was abusing, all was fine. She didn't need to be on medication. Like, what do you mean? Like, why does she have to be taking medication for any of this? But because Amanda was 5150'd, which is reserved for people who, I mean, for lack of a better term, really had gone off the deep end, many people just, I don't know, they just didn't think it was a good idea for her not to be on any medication. Now, it's interesting why Lynn might want Amanda to be off her medication. I mean, Lynn is older. Her parents are actually in their 70s and in their late 70s. So they definitely come uh, from the generation where mental illness is not something you talk about and it's something to be ashamed of, which it totally isn't. And um, it's something the majority of the world deals with in some shape or form. So she might have just thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with my daughter. She's off, you know, the substances she was abusing. So there's no reason she needs to take any of this medication. Now, was that good for Amanda? It's, it's really, really hard to say. I'll give my personal opinion. I think she could have benefited from staying on the medication longer. I think this is somebody who had a severe mental break And I think just, you know, spending a few months on medication isn't, doesn't mean you're cured. This is a, you know, constant struggle and something that you have to balance. And I think Amanda was on the route of figuring out this balance, but abruptly ending the medication could have been detrimental. Again, I'm not a medical professional. It's, you know, it's just my opinion. Um, But by the summer of 2014, everything was going great for Amanda. I mean, she was excelling in school. She was doing really well at FITM. She was tweeting sporadically. Um, She would tweet mainly just like sketches and um, clothes that she had designed. And she was doing so, so well. And it kind of seemed like she had started a new path. And all of this was going to be in the past. And it was just going to be, you know, a new Amanda Everything was going great until it wasn't. And that is where I'm going to leave this installment on that cliffhanger. We will revisit the Amanda Bynes saga tomorrow. I hope you all enjoyed this and learned a little bit. And this will give a really good background into what we get in tomorrow and 
beyond what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So thank you so much for listening to the Dieting Board podcast. I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're so inclined, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me out so much. And I will see you all tomorrow to resume the story. So everyone have a good night and I will talk to you later. Thanks everyone.